All right. It's great to have you guys. We're going to do our children's sermon now. So if you're a child, you come on up here. We're going to be kind of the side today, a little out of the ordinary because of the shoe boxes. Come on up here. If you're a child and you're in this congregation today, you're welcome to come on up with us. All right. Hey. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing all right? Do you guys ever worry about anything? Yeah. What are some things, maybe one thing that you worry about? What do you think, Danielle? Falling off a horse. Falling off a horse? Yeah, because you ride horses. Yeah? Anybody else ever worry about anything? Drowning in the ocean, that's a legitimate fear as well. Yes. People breaking into your house. Getting bad grades. Those are all things that I've been afraid of in the past, and I bet many of our parents and our folks that are here, I bet they've been afraid of those things. So when we're afraid of something... Or when we're going through a challenge. Did you guys ever go through a challenge before? Maybe a rough time? Anybody? You have? So the Bible calls those things that we go through that are difficult burdens. Can you say that word burden? Burden. That means it's, it's something we're carrying um, that's kind of hard to carry. But have you guys ever heard of the New Testament book called Galatians? That's a book in the New Testament written by this guy named Paul. And you know what Paul said about burdens? He said that believers, that's everybody in here, that we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. And you know that word burden, you know what that word in its original context, you know what that word means? Something heavy like a rock, like this rock. This is a pretty big, heavy rock. Do you guys want to see it? Don't trip me. Here we go. Everybody stand up. Come over here and check this rock out. This thing's really heavy. See how heavy this is? This is a, like a burden. This is what it's like to have a burden. And, and do you think you can hold it? Ready? Don't drop it on my foot. Whoa. You got it? Don't drop You got it? And we all, you want to try? I see her. Oh, you're strong. All right. One, Abijah. Whoa. You got it? You don't have it. He doesn't have it. Yeah, it's heavy. You got it? All right, I'm just going to help you because there's babies down here. Okay, all right, Ava, ready? You're going to carry this rock? Look at that, she's holding it up, look at her. How would you guys like to carry this around every day? Like while you're riding horses or when you're trying to swim in the ocean, would you like to have this big rock? No, you know, this is kind of what it's like having a burden. We carry it around with us. And it's heavy, and it makes us go slower. We worry about it, right? But the Lord says that we're supposed to help each other by carrying one another's burdens. So if you're going to try and carry this yourself, it's heavy. But what if, what if he helped you? What if you helped? Right? Danielle, come over here. What if you helped? What if you helped carry this burden? Right here. Just put your hands down here. Yep. It's a lot lighter with a bunch of people. Right? We're supposed to carry one another's burdens, and we're supposed to hand people over and trust in the Lord as well. So we're supposed to encourage one another by carrying burdens and committing ourselves and them to the Lord, all right? The word of the day today is encourage. It's encourage. Thank you guys for coming up here.
All right, church, will you do me a favor and take out a copy of God's Word today, open up to the book of Acts. We're working through the book of Acts. Our sermon series for the next few months, after, even after Christmas, is to the ends of the earth as Jesus has left the gospel with his church. His church is expanding. People are sharing the gospel. They're taking the gospel message literally around the world. We are called by the Lord to encourage one another, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 20, it says this, After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. We talked about this last week. Paul uh, is in Lystra, shares the gospel. Some people believe, many people do not believe. They get everybody all worked up. They take Paul outside the gate of the town, and they stone him and leave him for dead. Verse 20 is what happened right after that. The disciples all gathered around Paul. I think, probably trying to see if he's still alive. What does Paul do? Because that guy's got some grit, right? Paul gets up, and he runs from that town afraid. No, 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 that's not what he did. He got up, and he went back into that town so he can encourage the disciples a little bit more. The next day, verse 20 says, he left with Barnabas to Derby, which is a town uh, to the southeast. In verse 21 continues, after they preached the gospel in that town, that's Derby. Uh, they made many disciples. So the people in Lystra stone Paul and leave him for dead. He gets up the next day with Barnabas, following by faith the calling of God in their lives to continue sharing the gospel. They go some 60 miles to the southeast to a town called Derby. It would have took them several days to get there on foot. The Lord provided much fruit in Derby, and verse 21 confirms that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel, and made many disciples. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and in that particular term, basically what that means is Paul and Barnabas went into this town, and they told them about Jesus and how Jesus had come, lived a perfect life, sent by God, and was in fact God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for their sins. He invited them to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. When it said they made many disciples, that means many people in Derby turned from sin, trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Paul and Barnabas could have taken an easier way home. If you were to look at a map uh, current to that time, it would have been easier, in fact, for Paul and Barnabas to leave uh, Derby and to go down to Tarsus, which is the city Paul was from, and then to go over to Antioch, where their home or sending church was at. And so instead of doing that, um, let's see what they did next. Verse 21 says, they, they instead, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. That's Pisidian Antioch. Now that's really quite interesting. Let's stop for a minute. Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch. Paul went back to those cities, taking the long way home, kind of like that, and back over to Antioch. Now, why is that interesting? Well, Paul was just stoned in Lystra. So instead of going home and taking the easy way home and the safe route home, he goes back instead to those three cities where he had shared the gospel so that he could encourage the believers who live there. First stop, Lystra. What did they do to him in Lystra? They stoned him and left him for dead. Then next he goes to Iconium. In Iconium, several politically powerful people gathered the town together and organized a movement to stone Paul and Barnabas. Now, they were unable to do so because they had left that town. 
But that's another city where the people were gathered together and desired to see Paul and Barnabas put to death. Finally, they, they finish up their, uh, their trip of encouragement in Pisidian Antioch, uh, is, which is a place where city leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their town. So Paul and Barnabas, instead of going home to Tarsus and then to Antioch where they have a church that loves them and a movement of God going on, instead of doing that, they're like, I think we're going to go back to these three towns where we made disciples so we can encourage them. And they did that even though people in all three of those towns wanted to kill them. Those guys had some faith, right? So they returned to that town. Now, why did they go to that town? That's the first question I would have. If your son or daughter called you and was a missionary and told you, hey, mom or dad, I'm, I'm going to go back to this town uh, where they tried to kill me, what would you tell them to do? Do not go to that town. Why on earth would you go back somewhere where they tried to kill you? Well, the calling on Paul and Barnabas' heart by the Holy Spirit is to re-enter those towns, and they did that for a purpose. Look at verse 22. That text says that they went there strengthening the disciples. First, how did they strengthen them? By encouraging them to continue in the faith. Let's stop for a minute, and let's imagine the social and the social pressure and persecution that someone would endure for surrendering to Christ in this context. Right? So you, there's really no safe conversion in this text, right? So if you're a pagan and you're living in one of these towns, a Gentile pagan, and you decide to follow Jesus, you're forsaking all the pagan gods that you were raised worshiping, which, by the way, were, were integrally connected with their government and with their social networks. So when you turn to worship uh, one god from the, the polytheistic worship system that was going on in your town, the one you were raised in, the one your mom and dad worshipped, the one your grandma and grandpa worshipped, and all your aunts and uncles, and all your brothers and sisters, everyone you knew was involved in this. When you turn from that to worship Jesus, you were forsaking quite a bit. That's the Gentiles. Now, if you were a Jew, and you heard this gospel message, and you decided, yes, Jesus from Nazareth is the Messiah for whom we've been waiting, you would inherit an equal share of social pressure and persecution from your fellow Jews who rejected Jesus as Messiah. They would, in fact, be claiming that you're blaspheming, which they had the authority to stone you and put you to death. So following Jesus at this time would have been quite a sacrifice. In both cases, whether Jew or Gentile, a new believer's decision to follow Jesus required great sacrifice to their physical and social well-being. I'm sure they dealt with doubt. I'm sure they dealt with the temptation to turn away from the newfound faith and turn away from Jesus. Church, I think that's why Paul and Barnabas went back to those towns. It says there in verse 22 that they went there to encourage them to what? continue in the faith right they were going back there to encourage them to tell them listen it's worth it following jesus is worth it 
It's also important to recognize there was no, old, or no New Testament at this time. There was no organized church in these towns. Not even oral Bible stories for many of these people. They had the Old Testament, maybe, and maybe a Jew that knew the Old Testament that became a believer that could translate that for them and tell them what it means and how it applies to Jesus and their Christian life. They may have had some stories from Jesus' life that sort of migrated over to them, this oral tradition of who Jesus is and what he did. They might have had that. They had Paul and Barnabas' teaching. They had the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's pretty much it. So when Paul and Barnabas came to their town, the teaching they gave to them was, was pretty much one of just a few things they had to hold on to in their walk with Jesus. That's why it was important for Paul and Barnabas to swing back through and to encourage them to stay true to Jesus. Church, I think we also should be encouraging one another in the faith, just like Paul and Barnabas did. You know, Romans 12 is an interesting chapter in the New Testament. It indicates that encouragement or exhortation is a spiritual gift that some people receive. Did you know that? There are people that are given a unique gift by the Holy Spirit. It's called encouragement. Some of your Bibles it might say exhortation, but they're the same thing. Someone with that spiritual gift provides encouragement, comfort, joy through practical application of the Word of God. When I was studying this text and I thought about Paul and Barnabas encouraging and then sort of moved over into this application to the church, I thought of one particular man and one particular woman in our church. I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to embarrass them. This lady has the spiritual gift of encouragement. I've watched her walk through difficult circumstances with people, always providing biblical principles, a smile, a hug, and encouragement to press on. The man I thought about, he, he has a unique ability to always notice godly attributes in other people. Always. He sees it in them, and then he tells them, you know, I noticed this about you, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'm so thankful that God's doing that in your life. You know what I notice about both these people? When people are with them, they're always smiling because they're encouraging. Now, being encouraging to other people isn't just something for those with that unique spiritual gift. Those people are like super encouragers, right? They're uniquely gifted by God to encourage other people. The rest of us are supposed to be encouraging as well. Paul and Barnabas showed us that while some people are uniquely gifted to be encouraging, and by the way, Barnabas is his nickname, and that means son of encouragement, so you think Barnabas was encouraging? I think he probably was gifted spiritually to be an encourager, and he demonstrated that in his life. But we all have a role, a role to play in encouraging our brothers and sisters to continue on in the faith. While I was thinking about how to apply this to your lives, I thought, I think the best way to do this is to actually encourage you today. How about that? Anybody need some encouragement today? The question I have, as I thought about the text, was, why should we be encouraged today? 
What is it about our lives as believers and followers of Jesus that should compel us to feel and experience encouragement? And so I did some digging. This is what the Bible says about why we should be encouraged. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 tell us that we have a helper. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. We should be encouraged because we have a protector. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. We should be encouraged because Jesus has conquered the world and provides peace and eternal life. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the world, but be courageous. Why? Because I have conquered the world. We should be encouraged because the Lord strengthens us. He renews our strength. He sees us through the dark times. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. The truth is we should be encouraged because the Lord is always, always with us. Joshua 1.9 says, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you where? Wherever you go. Everything we do for Him, everything we sacrifice for the cause of Christ, contributes to an eternal reward. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Finally, be encouraged because of Philippians 1.6, which tells us that the Lord is not done with you yet. All of us make mistakes. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us at times feel like we are not worthy, and it's true. We're not worthy to follow Jesus. But by His grace and mercy, we're invited to walk with Him. And this promise from Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this. Maybe you need to hear this today. Listen up. Ready? That He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Be encouraged. Be encouraged because of Christ. Now, I laid down sort of a challenge in this part of the application of the text. And I said, we're supposed to encourage one another, right? We're supposed to encourage one another. We're encouraged because of what Jesus did for us and what he continues to do in our lives. But simultaneously, we're supposed to encourage other people. How do we do that? What does the Bible say about how we are supposed to encourage other people? Ready? First, be a catalyst for mutual love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Compel one another to love and to do good works for the cause of Christ. We should build others up using our words and our actions. I know that I talk about this often, but I just can't help it. 
uh, go on the internet, uh, go to any major national news site. Last time I checked, about 95% of the stories on the front page are bad news. Check it out. 95% of the news that you get most of the time is bad news. But there is good news through Christ. As Brandon said, citing Jeffrey from Sunday school, we have joy not based on circumstances, but based on what Christ did for us on the cross. Based on our hope that we have today, tomorrow, and in eternity. And so we have the capacity to build other people up using our words and our actions. Each of us, each one of us, is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, says Romans 15.2. We need to be a soldier for Christ for all to see. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. That means to stand at the ready, like a soldier stands on the front lines, ready for battle. Be courageous and strong. Finally, just do it. Just go out and do it. Go out and encourage other people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now, I know all of you, and I know that you can do this. And I think that you want to do it. I would love to receive your encouragement, and I would love to give you encouragement. So what's our conclusion? As we are called by God to go out into the world, and especially in the household of faith, to build one another up, to encourage other believers to continue to walk with Jesus and to be faithful to Him, our conclusion is, is Romans 8.31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, then who is against us? If God is for us, then who is against us? I mean, really, who can stop us from fulfilling and completing the mission of God? Who can separate us from Christ? Anyone? Anything? Nothing. Who can keep God's kingdom from expanding? No one. Who or what has the power, the authority to stop this church from accomplishing God's purpose for us? No one. We as the kingdom of God, fulfilling the will of God, completing the mission of God, are an unstoppable force in an unseen battle, raging in a war already won by Christ on the cross. We are already victorious. Being whether they are of this world or another world, nothing and no one can prevent us from fulfilling the will of God. So be encouraged today, church, because our King has secured the victory. Hold fast to your worship and faith in our Lord Jesus because He's worthy of your worship. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, really, if God is for us, who can stand against us? No one. Paul wrote that phrase, and he and Barnabas demonstrated it 
every time they took a step of faith for Jesus. That's why Paul could turn around and go back to a town that just stoned him and left him for dead. And I wonder if he was saying that in his mind while he walked back into that town, because I don't think it was very easy. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who can separate me from the love of Christ? Who can thwart the plan of God? If we believe God is who He is, who He says He is, then no one can stand in the way of God, or no one can stand in our way when we're fulfilling the mission of God. That's why they went back to those towns. To encourage the believers, the new Christians in those towns, to follow Christ and to stay faithful to him. They also went back to those towns, not only to, to convince them to stay walking with Jesus and to pursue that faith, but also to remain steadfast through hardships. Because we know that they're walking through hardships. Verse 22, I'll read that again, says, they went to those towns, verse 22, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's a tough message today, I'll tell you what. That's hard to hear. One theologian wrote, we must be willing to suffer with Christ if we expect to share in his glory. The path to the resurrection is found on the way to the cross. Jesus was clear that his followers would endure hardships on their way to heaven. In fact, our willingness to endure hardship and sacrifice our lives for Jesus is a mark of being a true Christian. Where does it say that, Pastor? Three times Jesus says this. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Then in chapter 10 of verse 38, Jesus said, And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And in Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come out and not whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 2 Timothy 3:12, Paul says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 2.12 finally says this, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There is no room in legitimate Christian faith for easy believism. The path to everlasting life walks directly through persecution and hardship. That's why we need one another in this church, and that's why we need one another's encouragement. Because we walk through hardship. You know, Jesus wasn't asking us to do something he hasn't already done on our behalf. You know that? He was innocent in every single way. He literally was the perfect person. He had no sin. He completely fulfilled the law and loved God and fulfilled his commandments perfectly his whole life. And yet he received our penalty for sin, enduring the harshest form of capital punishment of the day, which wasn't even the worst part of his death. 
Because shortly before he died, he received the wrath of God on himself for you and for me. The Apostle Paul didn't just preach about enduring hardship either. Do you want to hear about what Paul walked through? I don't know if you've ever read this part in 2 Corinthians 11, 25 and 28. These are some of the hardships that Paul endured for the cause of Christ to proclaim the gospel. Ready? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. That was in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. That was his life as a missionary. That's what he walked through. For the cause of Christ. So we're promised by Jesus that we will endure hardship. In fact, we know that that's our calling. That as we walk through that time of testing, we're both made stronger in our faith and we're demonstrating the legitimacy of Jesus as Savior. What should we do about that? Well, Paul again wrote about this in Galatians 6 too. He says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That word burden, as I told the kids, that literally means a heavy stone. I don't know what you came in here today with, but some of you are carrying one of these around, right? Did you come in with a burden today? Did you walk in like you're carrying a stone, a heavy one? You're not alone. Some of you are like, oh, I feel great. Life's going good. That's good. Just wait, right? Wait a day or two. And you'll probably pick one of these up somewhere. We weren't designed by God to carry these around by ourselves. We are told by Jesus that we're going to have these. The Apostle Paul described some of the burdens that he endured for Christ. But he gave us the church. You all. And we're not supposed to carry these around. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. Yes, we are called by the Lord to give our burdens over to Him. And so, of course, we do that first and foremost, trusting Jesus as we walk through life, going through difficulty, that He's walking with us, asking Him to remove those burdens. That's okay to pray and ask for that. Sometimes, however, God calls us to walk through life with a burden. Maybe it's the burden of a, of a lost loved one. Or a neighbor, or maybe you're carrying uh, or walking through a disease or someone you love has a disease. There's, those are all certain types of burdens. But you're not supposed to carry it alone. Galatians 6.2 says we're supposed to carry our burdens together. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas did when they went back to these towns. They're, they're walking through some of these burdens, carrying them for these churches and that's what we're supposed to do. We all have burdens. And Jesus didn't intend us to carry them alone. So we are to encourage one another through hardship. But you've got to let each other know when you're walking through hardship. It's not something that you're supposed to keep uh, you know, to yourself in some closet at home. That's what we're here for. That's what the church is for. 
to carry one another's burdens. All right, finally, one more thing, and then I'll be done. We've got to commit one another to the Lord. We've got to commit one another to the Lord. Let's see what Paul does here. Verse 23 continues. It says, When they appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and through Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commanded to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time spent a considerable time with the disciples. So on their way back, Paul and Barnabas stop at all these other cities, sharing the gospel. God's opening up doors in the hearts of the people, especially the Gentile people. That's whom they were sent away to preach the gospel to on this mission trip. And on their way back, people are being saved. And it's important to, to see, and what I kind of want to focus on for the last like three minutes here, is look at what Paul and Barnabas did. Look at verse 23. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What does that mean, to commit someone to the Lord? That's what we want to talk about. To commit someone or something to the Lord means that we entrust that person or that thing to the Lord. Let me give you an example that will hit home for you if you, you've had children. When Darlene and I um, were living in Iowa, uh, we had a big anniversary coming up, and so we were going to go on a cruise Remember when people went on cruises? Post-COVID joke. Um, and, but, but to do that, we were going to have to leave the kids behind, and, and we had never done that before. She really hadn't. I had for other trips, but she hadn't been away from the kids for, you know, it was like six or seven, five or seven days. And so we, I remember the day we got ready to go and, like, leaving the kids with mom. Now, my mom had successfully raised three kids, so we knew she could do that right? She's a nurse, right? But we had to commit those kids to my mom, right? We were going to leave. We were going to run a, a boat thousands of miles away. It was up to mom to keep the kids alive and take care of them. One of us took a little bit longer to accept that and to make that commitment, but it worked out. And the kids are all alive today. It's great. They're probably safer with my mom than they are with me. So that's what the calling here is. And this is what Paul and Barnabas had to do. So think about their ministry context. They had gone through these cities and they were sharing the gospel with people there. And all these people were turning from sin and trusted in Jesus, right? Well, Paul and Barnabas know we're missionaries. We're not going to stay here as pastors. So we've got to like give them everything we can and encourage them as much as we can. Then they're going to leave, Right? They've got to trust Jesus to do the work after that. Jesus is going to have to raise up people to teach the Bible. He's going to have to, the Holy Spirit's going to, indwelling Holy Spirit's going to have to convict them of sin and help them make good decisions. So that's what it means. When Paul, when Paul gives them over to the Lord, he's, he's saying, I've done everything I can. My calling's over here now. I'm going to trust Jesus with his people. They risk, risk their lives to tell them about Jesus, and now they're walking away because that's God's calling upon their lives. Well, when you lead somebody to the Lord, when you tell someone about Jesus and they turn from sin and trust in him, there's a very unique, special, spiritual connection between you and that person. You feel connected with them. 
there's a sense of responsibility. You're their spiritual mentor. But you need to remember this. You're not that person's savior. Jesus is. The radical, joyful, amazing spiritual transformation that took place in their life is possible because of what you did for them on the cross. Is that true? No. That's possible. The transformation that happened in, in their heart, in their life, in their soul is possible because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his wounds we are healed. So you've got to commit their life to the Lord. Committing believers to the Lord is not just a missionary practice. That's something we're called to do on a regular basis. Some of you need to commit your children and your grandchildren and your friends to the Lord. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I know personally that many of you carry a burden, a heavy burden for your children, your grandchildren, who profess to be Christians but are not following Jesus right now. You feel responsible for their walk, and more than anything, you want them to come back to Christ. I want to encourage you to do two things. Keep praying for them. Keep telling them about the joy that comes from following Jesus. Keep inviting them to be here in this church and to get connected here. But you also need to commit them to the Lord. We do carry that burden. We don't carry that burden alone. And in the end, we need to remember this. They belong to Him. They belong to Him. And so hand that over to Him. Trust the Lord as you continue to minister in their lives. Commit those you led to the Lord or mentor in the Lord to Him. I know that you also, many of you, you carry a burden for individuals whom you led to Jesus. Folks you mentor, maybe you're a Bible study teacher here or you have a group of people that you sort of mentor in following Christ. Paul wrote about this burden often. You know, Paul carried a burden for the churches and the people he led to Jesus. Any of y'all ever read first or second, first and second Corinthians? You guys, anybody ever read that? It's in the New Testament. Anybody? Okay. If you if you read that, you know of the burden that Paul carried for his, his churches that he planted. Imagine the things that Paul had to deal with on a regular basis, hearing about the things that were going on in those churches. The rampant sin. That's the burden he carried. So he wrote and visited to correct them, but at the end of the day, Paul trusted Jesus. He committed the people and the churches to the Lord. He understood something that you and I need to practice. Ultimately, not even Paul was responsible for the spiritual condition of believers. That's Jesus' job, and it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when that believer that you mentor makes a mistake or drifts from the Lord or surrenders to the lure of the world, do your best to bring them back to Jesus, but in the end, like Paul, we must commit them to the Lord. It's an act of faith. It's us saying, Jesus, I trust you with this person whom you died for, whom you love, whom you saved. Jesus bought and paid for us on the cross. Jesus rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit 
to indwell believers upon salvation. He's the one who makes a place for us in heaven, and he's coming back again to take us home. That's why he's worthy of our faith, worthy of us committing those whom we love to him and in his care. So we're going to have a time of invitation now. I want to invite the team to come up and get ready for this. Church, we can be encouraged in Christ today because our God loves us. Because our Savior died for us. Because one day we're going to go home and be with Him in heaven. So what I'm asking you to do today is really two things. First, will you commit to encouraging one another? Will you just commit? Some of you are, are um, gifted with the spiritual gift of encouragement. You all are smiling right now and shaking your head. You're like already doing that. You're like, yeah, hey, I love that. Let's have a party. Let's get encouraged, right? Some of you are, you're going to do that. It's going to be great. The rest of us, we need to just get on board with that, right? And we need to encourage one another. So I'm asking you, first of all, during this time, this moment of decision, would you just in your heart just commit like Paul and Barnabas, just to encourage your brothers and sisters. And, and second, would you also commit to carrying one another's burdens? And that's kind of, a, that really has a twofold request, really. It's like, first of all, will you be open enough to tell somebody that you've got a burden? You know, a, a friend here in the church, someone you go to Sunday school with or Bible study with or serve with, would you be open enough and vulnerable enough to tell someone, hey, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm really, this happened in my life last week. I really need prayer. I need help. And then, those of us that are the listeners in that conversation, are we willing to take the time and carry that burden with them? Will you commit to encourage others, and will you commit to carry burdens? That's what the church is supposed to do. I want to invite everybody to stand now. In a second, we're going to sing a song together. And this is a time of invitation. If you'd like to come up and pray up here, you can feel free to do that. If you'd like to hear more about following Jesus, I can tell you about him. If you'd like to come up and have me pray with you, we can do all those things during this time as we sing our song together. Heavenly Father, I pray over this congregation. I pray that your word had been rightly preached and that seeds of the gospel have been planted in our hearts. Help us by faith to respond to what we've heard today. Help us to live a life of encouragement and burden-bearing. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.